Hey there, welcome to ATL and 29, a Peachtree Hoops podcast where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. Uh, today I'm fooling around with Zoom instead of Skype to record the pod, and so this really is going to be a Peachtree Hoops podcast because I have two folks from Peachtree Hoops here with me instead of one. I have Glenn Willis, Josh Lane. Welcome. Please both talk, please both talk at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> Josh, Josh and I have potted too much together to fall for that one, Kevin. And I don't know. I doubt you know this, but my very first podcast appearance ever was on Josh's podcast. So, um, oh, man. yeah, him to thank or to blame, depending upon how you how you view. So this is podcast. Whoa, whoa, hold on. I can check to see if I still have the rights to that, but um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Uh, the Hawks played a basketball game last night. They scored an immense number of points and lost because the other team scored an even more immense number of points. Where, where do we begin in looking at that game? Oh, boy. Um, well, I jokingly said that um, the Nets, um, on their previous game against the Grizzlies, they had to uh, rest their star players because they knew Atlanta was coming to town. And boy, oh boy, was that a game. Yeah, I mean, it, it felt like a pretty high caliber sort of game. I mean, it's still early in the season. They're, they're still sort of figuring some things out. The defenses were messy, but uh, it was back and forth. There was a lot of shooting. It, it felt like a basketball game from 2020. Uh, I watched Raptors 76ers the, the day before, and that game made me feel like I needed to take a shower, and, and this game didn't. <laughs> well, welcome uh, welcome to the season, John Collins. Heck of a game for him. Yeah, I mean, I haven't – he's he's not uh, – I think he's having a pretty good season. I, I'm not – I mean, it, it's always – Offense for bigs is always sort of predicated on what defenses do and how they get the ball. I think John's John's been fine offensively. I I think he's done a, a better job than he has in previous seasons on the plays where it's designed for him to set a screen and make contact as opposed to just slip the screen and roll to the basket. Last night after the game, Kevin Durant said a number of nice things about the Hawks. Uh, I guess that's when you're, you tend to do that sort of thing is in a heated game where you come out on top. But Durant was like, you know, John Collins is probably the best in the league at slipping screens. Um, and, and I agree with that. You know, he's right up there. And I think he's done a good job as a, you know, physical screener too. Uh, there's a lot of intricate sets that were, have relied on him to screen. And I think he's done a pretty good job with it. So uh, I've, I've, you know, even though the points and rebounds numbers haven't been huge, I've been kind of pleased with John because he also has to make an adjustment now that he has to spend more time with Clint Capella, too. Yeah, and the, the foul trouble's been keeping his numbers down, too. He just He's not playing his normal allotment of minutes. Um, right. uh, but last night was more of a mix of what I, what I think, you know, for example, his agencies in – you know, not agreeing to an offer that was reportedly like maybe nor a little north of four years, $90 million extension. Um, 
because he had 12 made field goals, only half of them were assisted. Normally he's like above 80%. I don't know what his like career numbers are, but four shots he made off the dribble. So, you know, the big knock on him is he's completely dependent upon a point guard or ball handler to generate his shots. He's way more efficient you know, when he's diving in the pick and roll for sure. Sure. But of, of, the, of the 12, six were assisted, six were not. Four were off the dribble, two were putbacks. Um, and so that was just a really nice mix of things that, you know, he had a couple where he um, created a shot with his back to the basket, a couple where he attacked a closeout defender. And so you just saw more variety and versatility in his game um, last night. And that's to me, that's encouraging because, like how you mentioned, you know, there will be times he's on the court with Capella and he's going to have to function more in the perimeter um, and and do some different things. And there's going to be times he's on the court with, like, Gallo, he's going to be going to the rim. So for them to make the fullest use of him offensively, um, he needs to have that versatility and that variety. And, um, you know, on top of him just playing a normal minutes allotment last night, he also showed just more diversity in his offensive game, and that's encouraging to me. I'm sitting here nodding my head um, as if you listening via audio can see me nod my head in agreement with Glenn, but yes. um, You know, in addition, just small things I kind of noticed. It's amazing that he's able to get some of the shots to go down while he's being hit, just to keep um, that balance in air that he's able to do is just something that's amazing to me. That's, you know, why you could see he was hoping to get top dollar during the off season, but um offensively um because this is 2020 and i want to see points scored it was it, it was a good game for him in that sense to display all of his talents yeah uh i'm slightly worried about the collins capella lamps but not because of collins um you know if you look at the numbers from the preseason and again, these are, you know, all all your small sample caveats of play. Uh, all the small sample caveats here are in play, but at the same time, I think they match up with the eye test. Uh, in in four preseason games, Clint Capella had a net rating of negative eighteen point four. Uh, in the two regular season games, Clint Capella has a net rating of negative fifteen point nine. You know, I think the conceptual idea is that he helps shore up the Hawks rebounding and defense. And I think he's doing the de- uh, the rebounding end of it, but the defense is a mess. And I, th- I think it's a concession that when he's in there offensively, things won't be as great. Um, clearly there are a lot of plays where either he doesn't know what he's doing or the Hawks don't know what he's doing, but you'll see Trey kind of, venturing into Clint's space and it's like a pair of bumper cars, like what's, what's going on there. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think the big concern right now is, is defensively because that's what one of the things that they were looking for. And right now they're not getting that. Um, one of the things that concerned me a lot last night was in the fourth quarter, uh, you know, the, the, the Hawks rolled into the fourth quarter last night. And I think by the time the beginning of the fourth quarter rolled around, they could feel pretty good about the defense um, despite the high number of points, just because, you know, I think the idea was, you know, we're going to do what we can to make life difficult for Kyrie. We're going to do what we can to make life difficult for Kevin Durant. And I think Kyrie was like one for 10 at that point. 
So they kind of had done that with DeAndre Hunter. But they get to the fourth quarter. Kyrie starts feeling it a little bit, and the Hawks are like, you know what, it's time to get the ball out of Kyrie's hands. So they go to, you know, depending on how the, the screens were timed, some blitzing or some trapping, they're sending two bodies at Kyrie. One of them is Clint Capella. It was about the time where John Collins was going to come back in, but we were still about a minute or two from that. And they go to this, and Kyrie is just filleting that trap. Like, he's just going right around it. Um, and, and that was concerning to me. Yeah, big big picture for me. So, to your point, I think they did a, a reasonably good job on Kyrie and KD until Kyrie kind of got loose in the fourth quarter. But in the first quarter, the Nets, I think, were smartly using flare screens to generate shots for Harris and then um, maybe won the case for TLC. Um, and so the Hawks were kind of loading up towards the ball, which creates space right. away from the ball. And, and to be effect. fair, you know, it, it, the stuff for Harris is a concession at that point because they put Trey on him. And, Correct. you know, Trey's great, but he's, he's not your defensive stopper. Right. And so throughout the game, the Hawks had to adjust and distribute their defense um, a little bit more away from the ball than on the ball, which set up Kyrie to kind of be able to attack with the ball in the fourth quarter. And so they were, the Nets were quite smart in how they were um, unpacking their offense, so to speak, and setting up a fourth quarter for Trey. And then in the fourth quarter, once they were having to spread their defense out a little bit more because of what the Nets were running earlier in the game, Kyrie got, uh, Kyrie got middle at will. And, and you know, it, in a way it didn't really matter if Capella was in, it looked worse. And I think the results probably were worse when Capella was in. Um, but, you know, this was Capella's second game back. Um, and as far as the regular season, I think he played all of the preseason games. And when Capella wasn't playing, so the first two games were Chicago and was game two Memphis? Like, yeah, game two was Memphis. They were switching a lot in the two games that they didn't play. They don't want to switch with Capella. And so they're running a different scheme, and there are different reads and different things to communicate Right. And I think when you look at Reddish and Hunter and even Bogdanovich, you know, some of those bigger wings that they have, those are guys that are fit really uh, well into a switch-based scheme. But with Capella, you're going to maybe switch one through four, not so much one through five. And so, you know, it doesn't surprise me that second game, by f easily the most elite offense they've seen so far, that schematically it looked pretty rough um, with Capella in there. Uh, part of that is just, um, he's a different big. The second part is it was only a second game. The third part for me was the hardest offensive cover they've had so far. Now, Glenn, I am a very simple basketball fan, as many of those who listen. <laughs> um, could you explain to me when you said um, getting middle for Kyrie? Um, yeah, so basically, whether they were running a high pick and roll or a side pick and roll, and whether Kyrie was using the screen or rejecting the screen, he was able to move towards the middle of the free throw line and towards the paint as opposed to, to the, the sideline. Okay. Um, and so, and there were a couple of times that the, the, the second defender would step up and try to create a barrier to the middle, but Kyrie was just snaking in between the two defenders yeah. and still getting, he's just so quick and crafty with the ball that, the, he doesn't need nearly as much space to kind of get in there. So basically he was able to work toward the paint and for him, ideally towards the middle of the paint or towards that free throw line 
and that's when it becomes really hard to really kind of con contain him towards a, a tougher shot. And so basically letting the ball get to the middle of the court is what Getty Middle means. There's always an education when I speak with you too. So I very much appreciate it. <laughs> no, it's a good question. I, I, I appreciate that. Uh, all right. Where do you want to go now? Well, what else? What else stood out? Who wants to say something? Somebody take the reins here. Well, um, Glenn, I think you mentioned this, but um, some stuff with Capella, at least just looking at it, uh, pure purely body language. He doesn't seem a hundred percent healthy with um, how he's moving um, to me, because he seems, in certain aspects, a bit slow with um, second jumps and sometimes with initial um, jumps, but that's just me looking. I'm sure there's <laughs> something else that I could be missing, or he could be 100% healthy for all I know. Well, I, I guess for me, and then Kevin, Kevin says you're around the team um, regularly, and, and neither Josh uh, nor, nor me are. Um, I'd be interested in your take, but for me, he – I think he looks a little more just not in game shape yet. Um, especially when the game gets the pace really picks up, that's where I think I see more of him lagging. Um, so I think it's the running, the sprinting, switching into the court. Less so uh, in the jumping department. Like Kevin said, I think he's been really helpful in the rebounding department. Um, and he's just a high effort guy generally anyway. But he, he this looks right. like a player that's getting winded pretty quickly. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, and I, I don't get this from being around the team, but like last night, this beginning of the second half, I think the Hawks had a turnover or something, so it was just kind of mad scramble on defense for them on the other end. And there was Capella's under the basket, and there was a corner three-point shooter, and you know he made a pretty strong effort on a closeout, but it was like with you know eleven thirty-seven on the clock in the third quarter, and it's like, well, you know. Clearly, when he's fresh, he can do that sort of thing. But there's lots of times when you're watching the game and they do their close-ups and, you know, he looks kind of gassed. So I, I do think there might be a conditioning thing. I don't not maybe not necessarily an injury thing because, like, on that one play to right at the beginning of the second half, you know, he looked pretty agile in that moment. But then, you know, there are other times. I think on offense, like, when he's tried post-ups and stuff this season, he's getting his shot contested a lot, like – he looks pretty nimble and agile as a rebounder timing his leaps. But, you know, when he's gone to post moves, it's, it's a little concerning how easily opponents have defended that, you know, you, you see guys who aren't necessarily that athletic, just, you know, blocking it without what even appears to be uh, super duper timing or uh, anything to that extent. So I look at that and that's why I said injury, just because that seemed to me, something that would be affected by maybe a, still a nagging injury. But mm -hmm. I did not even completely think about um, conditioning. And, yes, you're right. That is something that would gas you the more the game goes on. So Yeah, I mean, and that game last night was, you know, again, it, there were a lot of points scored. So, you know, you question the defense a little bit. But I thought the – I thought the pace of the game was was pretty frantic for a regular season game. Uh, so that's the kind of yeah, that's the kind of game where you can get gas. And and to be honest, like just 
throwing in side notes here, I thought the Hawks did a much better job you know, defending in transition than they did against Detroit. <laughs> yeah, and for the thing that I'm watching for Capella the most, I think to give me maybe an indication that his conditioning is coming around. And I, I, we should be careful here to say that I don't think any of us are saying he's not in shape because he was being lazy or not putting in work. No, he's coming no. off of a foot injury and he's a big guy. Yeah. Yeah, my, yeah. My guess is he was doing conditioning work in the pool probably a lot this summer, which is very different from yeah. you know, taking 240 pounds or whatever he is and running up and down the court regularly. Sure. Um, but he's not doing any rim running right now. And when you think about what offensive value he can bring, apart from just being a good screen setter and a good finisher at the rim, um, if he's not rim running, you know, sprinting to the offensive rim uh, early in the shot clock, um, that says a lot to me about, you know, him – probably reserving a lot of his energy for defense. Um, and so when I, the thing that I'm looking for maybe game over game or week over week is if I, I feel like when we start seeing him do that rim running, that'll be an indication that his conditioning is, is kind of catching up with where it needs to be. Uh-huh. Okay. Something to look me, out for. Let me ask you this. Uh, what, what did you think about sort of the personnel, uh, application for the Hawks defensively like when when you've got Joe Harris and Kyrie and Kevin Durant out on the floor what did you think about how they parsed up those defensive assignments like for instance we saw a lot of DeAndre Hunter on Kyrie that was the one that at least going into the game that was the one that kind of surprised me because if you would ask me I don't know last week I would have assumed if they were to start the two that uh, Cam Radish would be the one on um, Kyrie since um he's a bit, I guess you'd say quicker side to side or longer. Whereas um, Durant is the bigger, stronger player. And that would be kind of um, DeAndre Hunter's assignment, so to speak. And as far as Joe Harris um, with Trey Young on him, yeah, I probably would (laughs) have. Just hope he doesn't get caught in the screens. Um, too often in the future. But yes, yeah, sorry, that's my initial look. And I totally jumped in front of Glenn before he was about to say something. No, not, not at all. I was interested what you, um, what you saw there. Though the, the thing for me is that um, I wonder if this is going to be a regular thing with Hunter defending opposing point guards, especially the dynamic kind, because that was what they rolled out versus Memphis in the regular season games. Hunter was on John Morant in that game um, after in the preseason, the second game versus Memphis, it was Reddish on Morant then. And so now this is what two games versus two dynamic point guards and Hunter's drawn the assignment both times. And so I, I don't know if that's going to now be a regular thing. I, I think he's done reasonably well. I don't, with what Kyrie was doing in the fourth yes. quarter, I really don't think it mattered who was on him probably. Um, but it is going to be interesting to see, um, if that happens again uh, on Friday, Friday's game, and then from going, I haven't looked too far into the schedule from there, but when these types of point guards come up, is that going to be a, a regular thing where Hunter does draw that assignment? It's not what I expected coming into the season, so it's interesting to me. Um, but that's 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 two games now. It's not just this game versus the Nets where they, they went with that um, type of matchup. From, what do you think team. is gained or lost there, like, in making that decision? I think the primary thing that's gained is just the opportunity to wear them down, just putting a bigger, stronger body on them. 
um, and making them have to work to get to their spots. Uh, harder. Harry didn't wear down. <laughs> he did. That's maybe maybe for the next game or for like three games from now. But he looked pretty good in the fourth quarter. I'm right, telling but... you, at the rest, had <laughs> the rest from the Grizzlies. No kidding. <laughs> no, I think it's a good observation, Josh. That that I you know, no one would come out and say it, but um, you know. They they chose to rest both of those guys, you know, in that in that last game, but I think the the way that the Nets maybe countered that, or and maybe it was strategic, maybe it was just kind of accidental. But Kyrie did wasn't attacking with his dribble really until the fourth quarter, and so you know they basically didn't run the stuff that would result in Kyrie trying to you know work on Hunter the whole game, and thus he kind of saved all of his juice for the fourth quarter. Again, like I said, I have no idea if that was strategic, you know, but it seemed to me like they were attacking Trey early by running yeah. hair off of screens and getting shots yeah. for him, and, like, that was the point. But um, a result was that Kyrie basically had all of the gas in the tank he needed in the fourth quarter. Um, but I just think that's maybe the thinking that goes into it. To your point, it's for sure not how it worked out last night. <laughs> and, yeah, oh. Steve Nash has probably lived that experience with, uh, you know, the flare screens and he, he's probably been in that situation as a player more than once. <laughs> yes. Um, I think just overall to me, um, at least the last couple games, just thinking about this and <laughs> this might be a simple thought. Um, it's interesting to see the uh, reddish Hunter lineup in the starting lineup, especially with how the off season has gone now. I'm sure you you maybe have talked about it on previous episodes, but it's interesting to me that they're already kind of like pulling out that um, that ace or whatever uh, going into these starting lineups with both of, you would say, the primary defenders on the floor at the same time to start these games. So that's something that's interesting to me because I figured they would have um, tried to stagger the two, but nope, here they both are. Yeah, and, and, and oh, go ahead. I was like, Kevin, I would think that if Chris Dunn were available, it, I, I guess that would make it more likely they would start those two because you could bring Dunn off the bench and have him defend at the point of attack. But to Josh's yeah. point, starting them both without Dunn available because they basically don't have um, a great option defending at the point of attack besides those two. So starting those two, it, like like Josh said, is interesting. And you know, we have no idea what the timetable is for Dunn's return. But that'll, I think that'll be a challenge for the coaches to have to work through game by game, depending on what they're facing, is does it make sense to start them or, to, like Josh said, to, to stagger them throughout the game? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, I was just thinking um, because I was taking a look ahead, and I believe they play – let's see, yeah. Yes, they play against Saturday against the Cavaliers. So I'd be interested to see <laughs> if they would still go ahead um, with starting both of them come Saturday, just to see if this is kind of like a matchup dependent lineup versus um, who they're playing or um, yeah, just to see who they stagger. That, that's all just kind of adding on to what you were saying. What do you expect against Cleveland, Kevin? Anything? Just stop it. There's another game <laughs> against Brooklyn. Okay. Uh, 
one of the things we kind of bandied about before we started recording was, uh, well, you, if, if, you, if you start Hunter and Reddish, uh, and, and I'm not trying to say that they're not shooting well, but when you, when you bring Gallinari and Bogdanovich and Herter off the bench, uh, that's a lot of shooters. Uh, you, 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 that's, that's a pretty nuclear combination coming off the bench in terms of, uh, of bringing some shooters. And Durant said something after the game to the effect of, uh, you know, they have, the Hawks have seven or eight starters, I feel like, uh, which, you know, feels like it's probably a reference to, to Gallinari or, or Bogdanovich, but, uh, you know, we're, we're in a sweet spot of the season here where we're four games in, we had four preseason games. Uh, I mean, it seems pretty obvious that this should be a better shooting team than the debacle that the Hawks had last year, but what's fair in terms of, uh, a reasonable expectation for how far this shooting performance might regress. Well, I was looking at some numbers because uh, I was curious about that. And so they're um, today after four games at 40.9% from the three point line on almost 40 attempts a game, which is a ton of attempts, unless you're comparing them to the Rockets teams under D'Antoni. Um, the all-time record for percentage is 42.7, 96, 97 Hornets. Uh, and they were a very good team that year, but only on 17 attempts a game. That's about where the league was. It wasn't like that they were super conservative compared to where all the other teams were then. And then the best, uh, the next best is the Warriors' best shooting season um, of recent. That was 15-16 at 41.5 with 31 and a half attempts a game. And so when you consider percentage and volume, they're at a point where if they shot this well all season long, it'd be one of the best shooting seasons in the history of the league. And so I'm going to say that's not going to happen. <laughs> I feel bold. I feel like I can make that bold proclamation. Very bold. <laughs> um, but, but I mean, is, is there anyone who, any one player who's just kind of shooting out of their mind right now? I, you know, um, I mean, no one's really jumping out out at me. As, apart from, I think Solomon Hill is like 42, 43%, and we all know. That's that, probably the one, yeah. That's the one, yeah. But, like, his career, like, he's gradually kind of ticked yeah. upward. It's not like his shot's ugly. I mean, it's a pretty-looking shot. And he's, he, and he's getting his open, wide-open shot. Yeah, yeah, that too. Yeah, Bogdanovich had him went for one last night that we, you know, he kind of drove and then just – completely contorted his body 180 to just kind of drop it behind him. And, and Hill had an unbelievable amount of space. Yeah, and for me, um, you know, what's the ceiling is the question I'm kind of trying to contemplate here. Because I think, safe to say, they'll be above average, so they'll be above league average. I think right. it's really safe they'll be top 10. But right. in terms of their ceiling, we've just never seen this much shooting around Trey. And Trey is one of the best shot creators in the league. So... I don't really want to cap them and say, well, they're not going to be top three. You're not going to be top five. I, that seems kind of crazy to cap them with a statement like that right now. Um, because like I said, they have a ton of shooting, a ton of legitimate shooting around Trey. For me, if someone's like, okay, give me your best guess, Glenn, it probably depends on like how much Gallo plays this year. Is he hurt a lot? Because he's right. such a great shooter at the four and five position. Yeah. Um, if you're rolling out more Bruno Fernando because Gallo's hurt, that's obviously going to be a drag on their shooting. <laughs> on their shooting. 
uh, same with Capella and such. So for me, it comes down to health of the older shooters on the team. And, uh, and just, I don't want to cap my own expectations just because of how great well, Trey is at creating shots and how much shooting they have. Can, can they be as good, Josh, as, uh, you know, look at, look at the top two teams last season, which was basically the Jazz and the Heat were hitting 38% of their threes and attempting 35 a game. I mean, is, is that, and, and you know, the way the, the NBA is so strange in that, you know, the progression doesn't stop. Like every year, what teams do from three seems to get a little bit better. But uh, do you think the Hawks could be a team that, that, that you know, gets around that 38% mark trying about 35 a game? I'm going to go full homer. Wait, you said 38%? <laughs> yeah, 38% while tr- attempting around 35 a game. Or I'm going to go, go full homer and say not only can they do it. Yes. No, I, I think they, it's a strong possibility because of what uh, Glenn mentioned was um, the health of Gallinari. It's just – you know, you have Trey out there. There are multiple players on this uh, team that have shot 40% uh, last year. And right. it's not like you're throwing it. I mean, at any one time, you're, you'll, they will have a 40% shooter on the floor. And so that, you know, you're throwing it towards those players that are shooting so well, but it also opens it up for other guys on the team. So as long as these players that are like, that are the 40%, the, uh, the good three-point shooters that are shooting it, that's a strong possibility because, you know, one, gravity <laughs> in that situation. And just looking at it, just doing the math of, oh, yeah, I'm having my best players who historically have shot well are um, going to continue to shoot well. Um, and I'm also going to go full homer in hopes – that uh, Solomon Hill can't keep this up and stay with um, Nathan Knight and his 66 uh, three-point shooting percentage that he has going right now. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think, Glenn? I mean, I, I guess, you know, the un, unstated part of it is like Trey has to stay healthy. Like you need that kind of oh, sure. magnetic yeah. yes. uh, force <laughs> sucking in defenses at the rim. But if, if Trey stays healthy and, and Gallinari stays healthy and you do crazy shit like playing Gallinari at center, uh, you know, that, that defense, uh, you know, that, that lineup is going to hemorrhage points at times, but it's also going to be completely mean on the offensive end. Like at that point, you know, your three-point shooters start to have a cumulative effect. I mean, once you put Gallinari at center, it's not just that Gallinari is going to get threes it's that he's going to contort defenses so that the other players out there with him get, it, get unbelievable looks for threes too. Yes. Yeah. For, for me, I mean, you know, if it's 38% uh, a realistic target, I, I think, yes. I, I don't think that's crazy at all. Um, do I think like, if you said, is it more likely or less likely to happen? I think that's right. That's right on for what I think could happen. But, right. you know, I think about, if that's good, if that if they're going to hit that mark, that probably means Trey is jacking up fewer shots from the logo off the dribble. You know, as, as exciting as that is, and and then I don't want to say that he should never be doing that at all because he creates pressure on the defense by 
having that be a threat, but, you know, Trey is one of the best uh, catch and shoot guys in the league. So, you know, Trey's own three-point shot distribution will factor into what that percentage is on, on the season. For example, if they're able to get yeah. him off ball more now that Rondo's working his way into the to the mix and he's back and things like that, and with what how well Herder's creating, you know, when those two are on the court together. So it it a lot of it comes down to just what you're running, what shots you're trying to create. And one of the reasons I feel bullish on them shooting is that under Lloyd Pierce, they've had a really good shot profile the first couple of years, even though they didn't right. have great shooting teams. And that factors into my own expectations too. And Trey, I mean, I don't have any numbers for this year. And I suspect the numbers would be pretty horrible, uh, especially if you include the preseason this year. Uh, but in previous seasons, Trey hasn't been that bad on those 29, 30, 32-footers. Like his, his numbers are actually kind of – mind-boggling on those i don't know uh i mean i maybe that's completely unsustainable and it would look more like what his numbers are for this year but i don't i don't i wouldn't even expect that to necessarily be a drag because i mean he's using that to set up his drives and then those drives end up setting up his teammates uh if he gets crazy with it then then yeah but i he's he's been you know again not this year but previous couple years kind of judicious on some of those where he's only picking the ones that are kind of makeable. I don't know that that's, that's neither here. Nor, but I guess the, the more important point is, you know, when you were rolling off statistics, you know, you mentioned the golden state team that Travis was a part of. I mean, I think he's made a deliberate choice to not put in a whole bunch of guys here that take three point shooting off the table. I mean, you've, I, I think he expects Solomon Hill to be a good shooter. Um, you know, I think the only guys that really are going to take three-point shooting off the table are Capella, Fernando, and I think they had hope for Fernando when they drafted him, but it, I don't think they do on that end anymore. And I thought <laughs> I thought he would be able to shoot threes, and it doesn't seem like they're going with that. But um, and, and Chris Dunn, you know, even you know Tony Snell, I think they expect to be a, a good three-point shooter in this system. Um, so, you know, when you're, when you've got a 10 man rotation and, you know, let's say you, your top nine in that 10 players are guys that can shoot threes and, and the other 10th in theory should be an elite rim runner, you know, you're never going to any lineups when you're fully healthy that should have bad three point shooting combinations. I mean, it, they're, they've loaded the roster in this way with the hopes that some of this stuff would happen. Um, yeah. Um, you mentioned Solomon Hill. Um, I could be wrong on this, but just looking at the games that we've seen him, he seems to be really open for his um, jumpers just because of the gravity that both you and Glenn mentioned earlier. Um, everyone's so concerned about everyone else that I haven't really seen Solomon Hill take egregious three-point shots. Oh, no, yeah. Um, yeah, just because of the gravity um, that's around it. So it's like, you know, you – so say you have an average three-point shooter. It's just, you know, you have someone 30 feet out from the basket trying to guard Trey, and then in another area you have Herter, um, and then Gallinari, and it's just kind of like, oh, you're leaving Hill open who's, you know, not like – well, say he's not the greatest shooter, but if you're going to leave him open, it's like, hey – 
but I don't know. That's one thing that has me excited and I have seen, and I will stop rambling right now. I'm serious. Well, yeah, I actually, it's it's just crazy how they were able to get Hill on the contract he's on. It's just kind of crazy because he's, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. (laughs) Like it's, if it's a minimum contract, would, did Miami offer a minimum contract? Would, would you stay in Miami if you went to the finals? Uh, with it, like, is, is did he want to play for Pierce or did he want a bigger role? Like, like if, if all contracts are, you know, if the contract situation is equal, which is basically, you know, did we offer you a minimum contract? Uh, you know, why Atlanta over Miami? Like, I've I haven't actually done it yet, but I have to go back and like listen to his introductory press conference because I think at some point he was asked, you know, why Atlanta? Well, why did you choose Atlanta? And, you know, the more I'm watching this season go by, it's like, you well, that's an interesting question. Like, what? Well, Miami would have had to have offered you a minimum contract, right? And, but, you know, maybe, maybe not, you know. Uh, yeah, they, I think. How did they change they their roster from, from last year to this year? Yeah, I, I I think they may have been out of roster spots because they, they brought in Harkless and um, Harkless. They brought in who? I'm been, sorry. I think it broke up. Sorry. Can you say that one more time? But they brought in Mo Harkless. Oh, yeah, okay. There you go. Sorry. I didn't hear that. Yeah, and so that that may have just been viewed as a, an upgrade, uh, whether that's actually an upgrade or not. You know, it's a longer <laughs> conversation. Um, but not, o- not only is – Wow. <laughs> not not only – <laughs> not only is Hill on a minimum, but his contract is not even guaranteed for the full season. It doesn't guarantee yeah. for the full season until whatever that's this true. year's version of the Jan 10 date is. So that's kind of, that's extra crazy to me. Um, but, you know, I guess if I had to guess, maybe, you know, Hill's coming off that huge contract. You know, he was on the last year of that big contract he had. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now maybe he's trying to brand himself as kind of, a veteran that can help younger teams because he was right. going to get no credit for that in, in Miami, understandably. You know, I think Bam but, tried to give him some. Right, right, but I mean, you got Jimmy Butler on that team and Goran <laughs> yeah. Dragic on that team, on and on. Yeah, and, no, that's fair. In Atlanta, they're an, a rising, you know, team in the league that was lacking veteran presence, and you know, Vince is gone now. So, you know, it it could be his agent saying, "Hey, if we can kind of get you on a roster." where it could highlight your ability to help less experienced teams and less experienced players, that's going to give you career longevity in a way that just being one of, you know, 11 guys in Miami is going to be. But um, I don't know, Josh, do you think I'm overselling his, the, the veteran experience he brings to the team or, or is that kind of how you're seeing it too? You know, um, I was going to make a joke about that, but I didn't. I didn't know if this was the appropriate um, podcast to make a. Hey, so Solomon Hill saw what uh, Vince Carter did to get to uh, ESPN. So he thought <laughs> <laughs> he thought it would be a uh, similar route. But no, I think um, what you say. I actually very... tried to make that comparison to Lloyd Pierce yesterday because at the end of the Detroit game. You know, in the last minute, he put Solomon Hill in, and I asked him, you know, is is that sort of analogous to how you would put in Vince at the end of games? And I think he, I don't know, I thought it made sense. He wasn't biting, you know. I think maybe because you know, 
we had a media contingent and, you know, didn't want to kind of, he kind of wanted to put Vince on a, on a, on a podium as a hall of famer. Uh, so right. I didn't really get the answer I was hoping for. So no takers there on that one. You, you tried though. You tried. I, I did try. Really ask of you. I okay, appreciate thank it. you. Um, no, Glenn, I think the point that you make is um, very legit. Um, just because there are lots of teams <laughs> that need um, a veteran presence to um, kind of show what the young players need to do. Um, and this would be a, you know, one of the better examples where it'd be kind of like a mix between um, veteran and young players, at least with the Hawks. Um, and this could go on display if the Hawks, you know, best case scenario, the Hawks go from high lottery picks to um, a playoff team. <laughs> and, you know, he's kind of displayed as this uh, veteran player. He could always say, hey, look how I helped um, Atlanta turn it around with, uh, you know, my, my presence. So here I am trying to uh, be the spokesman and um, sell, sell his value. And Glenn, I'm glad you said it because I feel like I would have said it much crazier in a much worse way. It's, it, it's, um, as a fit, as if I could put my fan hand on for a second, it's fun to see a guy coming off of a team that went all the way to the finals and stuff choose to be, you know, there with Atlanta. I think that's a really, a really helpful, um, yeah. And really with no guarantees, like like you mentioned, there was there's no guarantee yeah. in the contract and there's no guarantee that he was really going to be in the rotation. Like, you know, Tony Snell had signed and, you know, Gallinari could be healthy and Capella could be healthy and, and his role could be a smaller role. But, you know, for right now, it's a decently sizable role, but he didn't have any real guarantees of playing time as far as I could tell. Is that not something that they would, you know, would have discussed prior to coming in? But I know nothing how... I don't think you can go that far into the rotation and start making... When you bring in Gallinari, you can probably, you know, and you're signing him at $20 a year, you probably have that discussion. I think when you sign somebody to a non-guaranteed minimum contract, you're probably not having that discussion. I don't know what you think, Glenn. I expect them to have all the weight in the world, but go ahead, Glenn. No, I, I think that's more so his representatives kind of reading the roster and helping. And that's yeah. a conversation between the player and the, his representatives, not so much. Right. To Kevin's point, not so much the team. I think the team is like, hey, you know, we'd welcome your veteran presence and your experience, but we're going to have a deep roster and everybody's competing for time. And that would be about the extent of that conversation with the team. But maybe those representatives look at that and say, there's not a ton of defense here. And so once they start getting serious, <laughs> once they start getting serious about winning some games, you're gonna have you're gonna have some opportunity. <laughs> so, just totally guessing though, totally guessing. Right? I mean that that that's true though. It's like when we talk about oh, how much three point regression is there gonna be? It's like, well, you know, what did they build this team for? They didn't build it for defense. No, no, <laughs> not at all. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, uh. See, the thing is, is that I have this podcast and I'd like it to be my podcast, but I'd also like to do as little work as possible. So um, I'm supposed to zoom into the end of Hawks practice in a couple of minutes. Um, 
I think I could, oh, am I the host? Can I make you the host? You can just keep going without me. Like, <laughs> I don't know if I, how do you, I'm not good with Zoom. Is this, it's like, is this like the Zoom version of a trust fall that you're trying to do here? I mean, I could, yeah, I could just totally <laughs> like excuse myself and uh, I could make you one of you the host and you could just keep going and send me the file when you're done or we, we can wrap up, but I should probably go. Well, since you're, the one thing I don't know, Kevin, is since you're recording, I don't know if the recording will continue. Oh. So that's just, that's something I have to work out. Um, well, we could, I could stick in a commercial <laughs> and you could record it. it. It's, it's an option. It's up to you. We're, well, we're I doing just wanna, production live on air. Yeah. Well, I I probably need to wrap up relatively soon anyway, but I, I want to ask Josh, right. just for if I can real quick, Josh, what's the difference, the viewing experience from your, like the, just like a one minute answer on how different is it for you to watch this team compared to the last couple of years? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, with the shooting, I feel like we're in this at any point in time they're um they're in a game, and I feel like we don't have to do a prayer circle around the lineup and Trey goes <laughs> to the bench um, <laughs> I mean, say what you want, you know, as we hear about everyone with Trey and his defense when he goes to the bench, especially the last couple of years, it, we'd be like, "Oh my gosh, it's a miracle if they can score ten points without him on the floor um and it's just, you know, the versatility that we see. Um, I think it's fun. Like how I mentioned earlier, the Cam Reddish, uh, DeAndre Hunter starting lineup. Last year you had a stagger, so at least one of them was in the game. But I, I don't know. They're, this team is like a Lego set that you can like build into different things this year. And that's what makes it fun to me. They seem to be in these games and cross our fingers that this game on Friday against the Nets again – that they will be with they'll be in the game again and it's also fun to hear different podcasts actually talk about the hawks positively <laughs> this year <laughs> so I, but Trey shooting too many free throws uh, doesn't that upset you it, yeah yes you're right but man um james harden great play no <laughs> oh i i don't i don't know they're more fun to watch and yes. That's definitely a thing. Totally agree. All right. It's two o'clock. I got to go to practice. Thank you, gentlemen. Well, I will, uh, if I can behave in a three-person podcast without trampling over both of you talking, uh, we can do this again sometime soon. Love you to. did a great job here, Kevin. You did a great job. <laughs> you did, no, you, did, you guys did great and a little bit intimidating with you two, but we made it. <laughs> oh, stop it, Josh. You, you have more podcasting experience of both of us combined so <laughs> i don't even want to hear it great, that great to be on with you again though josh to be <laughs> you too thanks <laughs> thank you guys yeah they're they're energetic they get out and run they shoot threes they all shoot with confidence they got a 46 threes and i hit 18 uh but it felt like all of those guys you know lloyd is telling them to shoot those and be confident in shooting those no matter who you are solomon hill knocking down shots you know, and uh, Bogdanovich coming off the bench. So, you know, even Collins knocking down shots as a big. So, uh, they present a they present a nice challenge. You know, the you know four, five or six guys that can get their own shots, and then you got another coach in Rondo on the on the bench too. So, they're gonna be a team to be reckoned with this year. 
just about being more aware uh, in the slip outs and you know because we switch a lot of pick and rolls and this team slips out John Collins is probably the best in the league at slipping out of screens with Trey Young so early on they got us with a few lobs and it was, it was good to you know feel that type of force on the offensive end um, for our defense and next game and hopefully we uh, you know we take it in a little better and start the game better.